cliffcentral.com. All right, we are live in studio. It is just after 7 o'clock, cliffcentral.com. Come and please take a seat. Madam Mayor, how nice to see you. Mpo, nice to see you in person. Morning. Good. I'm glad you could make it. Yesterday we were panicking because we suddenly heard that you had some emergency meeting. Then it was canceled. It seems like everything in your life is an emergency at the moment. <laughs> I, and I'm, you poor woman, you must be frazzled. I mean, like you're trying to do a job and you can't even forced fi- it. You can't even figure out whether they'll let you do your job or not. And then you have to take them to court. Then you have to have emergency meetings. Then they're canceled. So thank you for making time to be with us. Call it a, a new normal. I think we all adjusted to a new normal. So yeah. Well. Suppose I need to do the same. I just hope it isn't the new normal going. All we want is for shit to work. <laughs> Pumi and I were talking about this the other day. And thank you for coming in. Part of the reason we wanted to have you in is because the last time we tried to speak to you, there were power issues at your house as well. And you were trying to talk to us from there. Kept breaking up. Canton, good to have you back on the burning platform. Pumi, as always. Yes, we had to finish the mayor's conversations for her last time. Exactly. Uh, now, Canton, well, Although she wasn't the mayor at the time. Well, Canton promoted this on his social media by saying, this week's mayor of Johannesburg. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I did. I mentioned David Gow's performance that I saw like two weeks ago. And he said his joke was the mayor arrived with a blue light brigade and went home in an Uber, which you told us was not true. That much yeah. we got from you yeah. the other day. But – What's the scenario at the moment? Let's just start there. Like, you know, what is actually happening for the city of Joburg? Let's give people some reason to believe in the system. Let's give people some reason to not give up all hope. Because there are a lot of people who are very apathetic in this country. Pumi and I talk about them every week. People who've just given up. They've gone, all right. And especially in small town South Africa, Mm -hmm. you know, there's still a lot of like civic kind of influence here. Johannesburg, people are not going to just take things lying down. But in other parts of the country, they've really given up. Um, why should Joburg people not be giving up? Because they see all of this happening at the top level. They see people fighting in, you know, the, 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 the mayoral council or the legislature or whatever it is. And they, they think, oh, well, there's nothing I can do about this. I may as well just fend for myself. Well, it's it's slightly true, unfortunately, at this point. And I think that's where we need to invest in voter education because what happens in between elections, many people don't understand. Um, people voted on the 21st of November, not enough people, on the 1st of November, not enough people voted. And and that's the, the start of the problem is when people give up on on democracy, when they give up on their rights to decide what happens in their lives. And I'd really like to see an improvement in that, particularly in 2024 and 2026 for our cities. But we're here. We were left with a hung municipality. We had to put a government together. We ended up with a minority government in trying to strengthen it. We added the Patriotic Alliance. We thought we're in a firm position now. 140 of 270 seats, way above 50% plus one. We thought we're well on our way to governing till the end of term. But... We know what happened. A few weeks ago, the PA also crossed floors, and now we're back in a minority government again. Um, what are we doing? There's been a lot of turbulence, and we are now intentional about focusing on service delivery. It doesn't mean that we stop the legal battles and the political battles. It just means that we're focusing on, on service delivery, and those battles must play out in the background. So from next week, I will be on the ground. I'll be in the regions. I met the regional directors yesterday and the group head of our Citizen Relations and Urban Management Department. Mm-hmm. And I realized, you know, we've wasted so much time with everything else. We've lost time. We were supposed to start with our regional program in September already and we were fighting for survival even back then so I do feel like we've lost two months 
So that's just, you've got Pumis. She's on your side when it comes to people must vote and more people must vote. Right, Pums? <laughs> what you keep saying every week. It's my thing every week. But I'll be saying it until I'm, I have no microphone to say it to. Uh, I don't think take that. the vote away from you. <laughs> so, from my dead and dying <laughs> yeah. hands, cold pride out of my hands. <laughs> so, Paul, what is with the Patriotic Alliance? They're not here to defend themselves, so say whatever you can about <laughs> them. Because wh- what happened here? I mean, what was the issue that caused them to to swap sides? Well, Gates and McKinsey has always made it clear what he's after. He's interested in contracts, tenders, he's interested in jobs for his people, um, you know, whatever that means. So you, you just see them as essentially corrupt then? Well, yes, I do. Okay. Yeah. And I do more now because I've seen it in action. And we had one Patriotic Alliance MMC who I really worked well with. They had health and social development. We didn't have any issues there. But what we're seeing play out now when they crossed floors to start working with the ANC, we saw funny tendencies. The two Patriotic Alliance MMCs held the housing and the transport portfolios. The first thing they did was issue a directive that all recruitment processes must stop. Uh, and one, that's interference from a political principle. And two, why would you do that? Mm. Okay, well, they're not here to defend themselves. Maybe at some point we'll get them on. I've been trying to get Gaten on for a long We've time. We've been trying. We've <clears throat> so it's not like we're not. Every, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I've, I've seen him twice this year, and he's always, oh, no, he's keen to come on. And then obviously he has more important things to do. But you're here, and you're the mayor of Johannesburg. So mm-hmm. tick-tock, Gaten. Get on here. No pressure. What what other alternatives are there for you to form coalitions, or are you going to put that aside and carry on with this minority government and move on? Well, no, we'll always try to strengthen our government. It's in the interest of stability, so we can't ever give up on stability. I think our residents need that more than anything else. So we will govern. Like I said, that's going to be our focus, you know, but we will continue to try and see how we can stabilize our government. There's various conversations happening at a national level, even at a local level. It's early days to say what we're going to end up looking like, but mm. we're committed to that, to that stability. Yeah, how, how I have a question. <clears throat> so if, if Gayton and the Patriotic Alliance have always been clear about their stance and what they wanted, and you were able to negotiate with them to move into an alliance with them, what changed that brought us to where we are? So when, when they joined the coalition, they wanted two portfolios out of ten. All our portfolios were occupied, and they were also very specific on which portfolios they wanted. Uh, Economic development was one they were particularly interested in, and I believe that they have an interest in one of the entities, um, quite frankly, if not more than one of the entities. And that particular one was occupied by Action SA, as an example. Now, to bring them on board, the Freedom Front Plus at the time decided to give way and allow them to take the health and social development portfolio. It was an interim plan while we were working towards a review of the coalition agreement that would hopefully um, create a different scenario. We weren't there yet. And and then there was all kinds of turbulence in council with the ousting of our speaker. And, and in the election of the speaker, they saw that as an opportune time. We believe they've been negotiating with the ANC all along behind the scenes. Um, Gayton once called me and said he's been approached by certain parties who want to oust me and that they can't do it without the Patriotic Alliance, but that he would not um, give in to that and that I must continue working. So you can see that 
that these conversations have been going on for a while. And at some point, perhaps they gave him a sweet enough deal. He got housing and transport in, in the ANC administration. So the, the court process has given you a reprieve in that it's said the process by which you were taken out was not correct, right? So you've got that on your side. But that doesn't change the fact that they, they obviously are still machinations. And how confident are you that you are able to do the political work that needs to be done in order to be able to bring a coalition to bear that will keep you in the position? We've got now... Um we were nine, so we've got now, uh, let me see, it's us, Action SA, IFP, UIM, um, ACDP, Freedom Front Plus. Oh, it's a lot of things to wield. Yeah. So it's not only dependent on me, it's not only dependent on the Democratic Alliance, it's dependent on all the partners to make it work. And that's why a lot of the conversations are happening at a national level as well. Um, and those are happening, and I believe mm. that everybody is committed to to fighting back and, and making sure the city remains in good hands and we'll, we'll do whatever we can to make it happen. So someone in the comments asked, and I think this is such a good question, what is Joburg's number one problem right now? So my number one priority has always been electricity. Just because it's such an enabler and it's an economic driver, Joburg is the economic hub of the country. We contribute about 15% of the country's GDP. Mm-hmm. And if we can enable business and enable economic growth, people will be in jobs and a lot of things will take care of themselves. Our housing backlog is as a result of unemployment. We've got over 400,000 people waiting for a free house. Those people got jobs tomorrow that takes care of that problem. Mm-hmm. So a lot of our challenges have to do with our inability to support business. And if we can do that right, then a lot of things take care of themselves. Um, another economic driver is safety, of course. Um, and we are investing quite heavily in safety, as you have seen. We've increased police visibility. We've increased even just the boots on the ground. Um, and we'll keep doing that year on year because our police person to population ratios are way lower than what yeah. they're supposed to be. And that's bad. a concern. But we are also working more closely with the SAPs and other law enforcement agencies and looking at smart policing as well, just so that we can do more with less but at the end of the day people need to be in jobs and for that to happen the economy needs to grow and for the economy to grow government needs to create an enabling environment and it talks to um, providing electricity making sure potholes are filled traffic lights are working there's there's adequate safety and security and so on the problem with a lot of what you're saying is that these are all the prerogative of national government and my point in terms of what the city is supposed to deliver is really simple. I, I want the potholes fixed, I want the rubbish cleaned up, and I want the traffic lights to work. And those are three very simple things that can be put together at relatively short notice. They don't cost much in terms of the technology that's actually involved to get them uh, implemented. In the case of the potholes, we've already seen that there's been very successful partnerships with the private sector simply because the insurance companies have recognized that it's cheaper for them to actually be fixing potholes than to be paying out claims all the time. And so that has actually started happening. Mm -hmm. But there are very simple things that are happening. And the rubbish one shouldn't be too difficult to solve. The rubbish one shouldn't. Because there's so so many unemployed people who could be given like a, 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 a small fee for collecting this stuff. 
Yes. Some people are already. Well, we already have the situation where we have all of the recyclers who are picking up stuff all over the city, which leads to its own problems because <laughs> they are now creating a bit of a mafia among themselves yeah. uh, as well. But there are other significant problems that I've noticed that have been happening over the past couple of months. So for one, with the reserve, the onset of load shedding, we've had all of these people who've arbitrarily designated themselves as traffic wardens who are uh, conducting traffic at traffic lights. Eugene's hobos at the traffic light. Now, what has been now been happening is that <laughs> they've, they've actually been disconnecting traffic lights. And a um, very good example of this is the intersection of uh, of Ravonia Road uh, and Witkoppen. Huh. Okay, so the traffic lights are out there now, irrespective of whether or not there's load shedding. And it's because of the fact that you have these guys who are out there and they are doing stuff for tips. Meanwhile, the uh, the metro police, who should actually be moving in and doing this, they set up roadblocks just further up on uh, on Ravonia. Gareth, you probably drive through this roadblock quite often. Yeah. Okay. I don't see the point on metro police setting up roadblocks to check for expired licenses. Pulling over people for expired licenses, but then slowing down the pace of business for literally thousands of motorists who are trying to get through to the office makes no sense whatsoever. But the Metro Police, instead of actually doing stuff that the Metro Police is supposed to be doing, which is enforcing bylaws, they are busy wasting their time on actually policing traffic violations. These are simple things that are in your power to actually fix in, I, I in don't, a short space of time. I don't agree. I think there's a lot of, with all due respect, a lot of false dichotomies in what you've said. Everything I mentioned is not the sole competency of national government. Everything that I've mentioned that needs to happen, um, the city has a role to play in it. Um, I spoke about electricity supply. I spoke about making sure traffic lights are working, that there's no potholes in our roads. I spoke about safety and security. We've, we have a mandate in all those things, and they're part of our seven mile priorities. I mean, even what you're talking about, uh, roadblocks. Yes, I agree with the timing of roadblocks and the positioning. That could potentially improve, but we also need to to, to police, uh, traffic policing is a mandate of the JMPD. We, it's actually one of our core mandates as opposed to the SAPs is traffic policing. And with regards to crime, our mandate is crime prevention. So it's, and, and bylaw enforcement is part of it, but we can't say that they must leave traffic policing and only focus on the one. We can do all of it and we should do all of it. We've got 10 portfolios in the city and we're well capable of driving programs across all 10 and we are doing it across all 10. I think it's perfect. No, they're not. Is it going to change in the next week, the next year. No, it's not. We'll see incremental change as and when we continue investing, but also as and when we bring on board private partners because we also recognize we don't have adequate capital uh, or, or, or even just operational budgets to do everything that needs to be done. Um, so so I do think we, we're very capable of fixing potholes, making sure traffic lights are working um, incrementally so. Now, if you look at theft and vandalism of infrastructure, we've had a 157% increase in the arrest of cable thieves. In hmm. ten months that we've been in office, so that already says there's there's been a an, a focus on the problem with 157 percent. That means that if you previously arrested 100 people, you are now arresting 157 people more. It's so a, you know, it's a percentage. So, yeah, percentages uh, percentages are what politicians hide behind all the time. <laughs> okay, if you are fixing 500 percent more potholes than you were last time, and you previously fixed one pothole, that means you're fixing five potholes. 
Well, it is. The trajectory is changing. What I'm I'm trying to suggest here (laughs) is that we need to have a cost-benefit analysis that actually applies to all of the way in which the city spends our money. And I'm saying in the case of the Metro Police conducting roadblocks, I would like to see a study that actually says we had this roadblock. Coming out of this roadblock, we managed to arrest so many people for having unroadworthy vehicles. The, um, the net impact of oh, that they're not part. arresting those people. No, no they're not. Vehicle. No, mm-hmm. they're just pulling over people. That's they're just pulling over people <laughs> who have expired license discs, and that money is basically going through to the province, as I understand. It doesn't actually flow back to the city. You can give them tickets, which is then going to generate revenue. But if the revenue that you are generating from the tickets versus the cost of actually putting it in place and the cost in terms of reduced productivity on the part of everyone who is held up on that roadblock, there needs to be a cost-benefit analysis that gets done on that. And I promise you, you will find that those numbers just do not add up. Um, yeah, I think it's a broader discussion than what you're reducing it to. Traffic policing is crucial. It's a function of safety. Um, on our roads How That's why we over... don't want the hobos yeah. directing traffic Exactly We want the metro police directing traffic I agree with you on that So why are they having roadblocks? But anyway, I think we're going to get stuck in mm. a rut here We're in a roadblock We're in a oh, roadblock We are in a roadblock <laughs> We're going to be stuck Because you, you, All right. what you're not going to be able huh? To, huh? to prove to us is to, or, or to Canton Is is the cost benefit So I, I don't think that that's going to take us anywhere You've heard him Yeah We hope Uh <laughs> but there's, there's, you know, there, there are many small moving parts. And I, I really would love to hear your view. And cause we spoke a little bit about what's happening in the background and the court challenges, right? Which I think erodes even further for the people that haven't voted their view that, ah, if they can just go to court and then even if I voted for X and that's not what is now happening, how, how do you see that playing out in keeping and getting more people interested in voting and feeling confident that their vote actually counts if you're going to fight it in court? And let's talk about why we're in court. We're not in court because we're fighting a political battle. We're in court because council is run based on certain laws of this country, the Constitution, the Structures Act, and the rules of council. And when those are not respected by either the speaker or any of the councillors and decisions are made, key decisions that affect the lives of the people on the ground, then we do need to approach the courts for relief. That's what that battle is about. It was a fight for democracy. It was a fight for the rule of law. Um, it was not a political fight. And you see, I, I don't have a problem with the, the court battles going on as well as all no. of this. I mean, you can, you can walk and chew gum at the same time. And the DA has been very successful in pursuing court battles – and bringing some people to book that's, and making sure that the rule of law I, is, I is respected. The I, yeah. That process. Sure. Process is sure. one thing, right? I'd like you to, to maybe expand a little bit on this latest battle that you now have with the speaker. So what the speaker did is she failed to self-correct after the court judgment that was issued last week. Or t- yeah, it's last week. Mm-hmm. She wanted to bring the very same motion that was deemed inadmissible before. She wanted to bring the same motion to another council meeting 
and engage in another illegal process, which we were not going to just sit back and allow. Because again, like I said, the court battle is about democracy. It's about respecting democracy, respecting the laws of the country, respecting the rules of counsel. It would be a sad day, the day we all decide to set our rule books aside. How are we going to run counsel? How are we going to run the city? Mm-hmm. So we can't allow that. Not on our watch. We have to appeal to the judiciary to help us make her realize that she operates in a legal framework and she needs to respect it. So my follow-up question then is, what have you learned from this experience about your alliance partners? What have I learned about my partners? Well, I mean, just like in any marriage, you enter into it today. It doesn't mean it's necessarily going to last forever. You hope it does, but sometimes it doesn't. And when it doesn't, you do, you deal with the situation, whatever the situation is. We're here now because the Patriotic Alliance has jumped ship. Not only them, I mean, it started with Colleen Makubela of COPE, of course, and, and the ATM as an example. Um, there's a lot of confusion within COPE. I'm sure you've seen that playing out. Um, one minute Colleen Makubela is suspended. The next minute, no, she's not. And it's different tiers of I'd love to know are. who Pumi and I had this conversation I'd love to know who the 20 people are Who voted for COPE in the last election How much more disappointment can they bear I mean, there's something about that, right, Canton? I once voted for them I admitted it I thought this is a, you know, something new uh, and, and I've regretted it ever since But there's still people who are doing that mm. Well, there were glory days back then Yeah, well, mm. I don't know about that All right, so Let's just talk about a couple of the questions that people are sending in here too because <clears throat> a lot of the listeners have, have questions for you. Um, Jim says, I'm listening to this. I'm glad I'm out of Joburg. It's become like Middle Earth, lawless and filthy. So Canton already talked about the rubbish. It's one of the things that just visually, if, if we, you know, we always talk about dignity and politicians especially always say, oh, we, we are here to assure that you are treated with dignity. But we, we don't have a very dignified looking CBD. I mean, I'd take any off ramp you like, and it's just absolute chaos and mayhem. And Jim here is making a good point. Like it makes me very uncomfortable and it gives me every reason to believe things are in decline just because it looks like that. And cosmetically, I mean, even politicians who don't care about anything else cosmetically can make things Better. We have lots of people in this in this country who are unemployed, and we talked about the rubbish removal and all the rest of it. But like every highway is strewn with nonsense, and on the insides there are weeds growing. I I drove through a, a, a an abandoned or sold petrol station yesterday, and it's it looks like it's been left alone for fifty years, but it only closed down about three months ago. But the moment the business moves out, everything just goes to hell. Broken windows. All of that stuff. And we know about Giuliani in New York with his broken window policy. Do you have some kind of comment on that before we talk about policy? Because you've obviously thought about this. I've, I agree with you on the fourth. Um, you know, it was, it was a sad day to see Archbishop Desmond Tutu buried in Cape Town when he would have wanted to be buried in Johannesburg. And I know this because, um, the, the, the dean of the cathedral where he fought apartheid for so many years has shared the story with me that actually he was part of the plans for his funeral. And at, at a point he saw the Jobic CBD. This is way many years ago. And he decided he's not going to be buried in Johannesburg and he moved it to Cape Town. So it's true. The CBD mm. has been dirty, but it's also true that it improved significantly. In the 10 months that we were in office before we were ousted And of course we're going to start again now We've started a week ago um, and, and that's what I'm talking about Is it going to be 
perfect in, in, in 10 months. No, it's not. But you will see change. And we've received many positive reviews about how clean the CBD is looking finally in the 10 years that we were in office. And I don't know if you've been in that time. And it's one of the things we also started seeing deteriorate in the, in the 25 days that we were out of office. But we're back now and we will continue. There's a lot that we've changed. We've added um, a shift. So we've got two shifts now, cleaning our streets. We're mechanizing street sweeping as an example. We've launched Arsabitzeng where we mobilize communities and business to join us in our cleanups. We have launched it in, in, in several regions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will continue launching in other regions where we haven't and make sure that there's growth um, and, and so on and so forth. We, we, we want to introduce recycling in a big way um, by having buyback centers everywhere. I'm teaching my own kids about recycling. So if you come to my house, you'll find lots of two liter bottles and that. And we want that to be a culture because waste is actually gold. It's money. And a lot of people go to bed without food on their tables. They don't understand that they actually do have something that they can go and sell somewhere, but it's a process. And that's the process we're embarking on currently. And, and that's really the message that I understand people are frustrated, but we're talking about 28 years of neglect. And they, with, with the limited resources we have, there is no way we're going to just, you know, pull out a magic wand and everything has changed in 10 months. But look at the trajectory. And that goes back to the 157% discussion. Whether it's five more or 10 more is immaterial. What is the trajectory? Are we going in a positive direction or are we declining? And all indicators show that Johannesburg is actually on the road to recovery. It has been under the, in, in the hands of the Joburg multi-party government since we took over in November last year. All right. All right. I, I love the talk about the resources available because that brings us to the billing crisis. What is happening about the billing crisis? Because this is one of the two things I think that most Joburg residents have. Yeah. So, so the billing crisis again is another historic issue, long standing issue. We have MMC Sadabi in there now sorting it out. You have billing that is happening in a manner, you've got a value chain that's broken, essentially. So you've got the entities, Joburg Water, City Power, rendering services, and you've got revenue dealing with billing issues. You've got a communication flow that's that's broken along various areas um, from the, the, the actual meter reading to when the, the actual bill is generated. So, so we're in the process of fixing that entire value chain, and it requires IT, it requires um, you know, those kinds of developments in MMC fortunately is from that background and she's on top of it. Um, these are some of the things that we were worried would be interrupted with our removal and we need to fix the billing crisis. We're making some changes now. We're looking at what's working, what's not working. A good example is your large power users who were being also being managed by revenue. We've decided they must now be managed directly by City Power at the customer interface because we find that that, that, that works better. So there is a whole review that's going on looking at what's working, what's not working, and how do we fix it. But again, it take, it's, it, it's going to take a little bit of time, not a whole term, fortunately. So I'm hoping by next financial year, we will be in a much better place. Captain? I want to talk about the, the practicalities of people actually having the skill sets necessary to do this type of stuff. And I'm going to give you a very practical example now. Once the rains come, the UXK always gets filled with rubbish. And I happen to live in a suburb that's downstream Mm. from Alex. And so the rubbish comes flowing down the river and there's a low bridge. Mm. And this is the low bridge in terms of what happened yesterday when the rains came. 
Okay. We have a look. And as you can see, it's just like plastic yeah. and polystyrene. Yeah, so it's and plastic and polystyrene that uh, that mm-hmm. completely mm-hmm. cover the bridge. And of course, we did the usual thing, which is uh, to call the city of Joburg. JRA sends their trucks out there to clean the mess. Mm-hmm. JRA pitches up there, and they proceed to take all of the rubbish that's on there and push it into the river on oh. the other side. Now, this is just basically a problem of competence. Because really what should be happening is that rubbish should not be going back into the river. That rubbish should actually be th- – this should be a coordinated uh, effort between JRA and between Pick It Up. The Pick It Up trucks should be there. There should be bulldozers that are actually taking the rubbish because otherwise all it's doing is it's just shipping it upstream from uh, from our place. It goes uh, through to Waterfall, eventually ends up in the Crocodile River, and the the entire value chain is contaminated. Now, this problem really comes from – the fact that the people who get dispatched out there to do the work actually lack the basic competence to understand this stuff. And this problem really goes back to Herman Mashaba because he was the person who insisted on having everything insourced and brought back in, into the city. Pumi's laughing. Pumi, we've had this discussion. Pumi's laughing because she never was a Herman Mashaba fan. No. She um, was very clear about that from the get-go. Look, I, I voted for Herman Mashaba back then. Well, I no. voted for you as well this time. Uh, oh, thank you. Thank but, uh, you know, so, so put that aside. But, but the thing is that really what we should be having is a breakup of entities like Pick It Up. We should be privatizing these putting in place collection agencies that are actually embedded in the local communities so that you're creating this uh, the sense of empowerment. And there'll be a, an employment creation. There'll be employment creation, no. but more importantly, when you have a situation where uh, you, you're not going to have pick it up suddenly going on, on strike and holding the city hostage, which again happened last week. There was no uh, there was no trash collection that took place on time. I'm very pleased that you got it resolved behind the scenes. But these are problems that happen all the time. And this is why I say the problems that need to be addressed, you need to have a holistic structural overview in terms of how these problems mm. are tackled. There needs to be cost-benefit analysis that happens around all this stuff. Now, in terms of what you were saying around the billing crisis, I promise you that there are major companies in the city who will be very happy to donate IT resources in order for the city to fix its billing problems. Because it is in the interest of business that the city actually works properly. Has there been an attempt to actually reach out to these companies and and get this in place? I know uh, another practical example in terms of electricity. There's a company that actually pulled a gas line from Sasol all the way going through to the Santon CBD. They had the capacity to bring in within three to six months 500 megawatts of gas-fired power relatively green power in the in, in the CBD center they have been trying consistently to talk to the likes of ESCOM and to the likes of City Power to try and get it up and running and there's always a logjam in terms of how these things can actually be brought about mm-hmm. my question to them was very simple are you going to be providing electricity at a cost that is lower than what ESCOM is currently mm-hmm. providing to the city and the answer to that was yes now that to me is kind of a no brainer there are no processes in place by which one can actually connect these various dots together. Yeah, that's not, again, entirely true. Um, you, will, you are aware that we hosted a two-day energy in Daba in May where we invited people like the ones you're talking about to come and tell us what they're doing and how they can help us meet our energy needs in the city. 
there is a process in place. In fact, we've been developing that process since the end of the Energy in Dava in May. We've been working with National Treasury and we're on the brink of actually issuing a request for proposal finally. It will go out on the 10th of November and, and so we will start onboarding the likes of the company you're talking about. Um, you've, you've touched on a lot of things, so I'm going to respond to what I can. Um, you spoke about uh, structural changes, and I agree with you. I agree with you. The city needs to be a matrix organization. I mean, yesterday I met with the regional directors, as I said earlier, and this issue was brought up, in fact, by the RD for Region E. It, it's top of her two priority, two, two most important things she would like to deal with, the Yakske River. Is, mm. is, is one of the two. And, and this is what the problem is. There's illegal dumping upstream and there's inadequate policing of illegal dumping upstream. And because they are busy checking <laughs> license discs. No. And again, you're going back to your false dichotomies. It's not either or. We can check license discs and we can still police illegal dumping. But we've identified that as a gap and we're going to be addressing it. Um, that's number one. You also spoke about incompetence and I, do, I don't always believe. And, and yes, there's, there will be elements of incompetence and those are as a result of cater deployment for years and so on. People who who got jobs because they were pals with certain connected individuals. There are those people. And with the introduction of performance management and consequence management, we should be able to clean up, you know, over time. But there's also people who know what to do and are just negligent. Some people are just corrupt. So so there's also that. And and it's important, um, and I'm glad you mentioned this, because it's something we need to investigate. I'm, I'm very concerned to hear that the JRA has done what you say they've done. Um, I need to know what happened. And people must be held to account. Because it's unacceptable. It's completely unacceptable. So, so yeah. Sorry if I didn't touch on. <laughs> you don't have to touch on all of them, but you know, I think I'm just listening to to the granular stuff. And and unfortunately for you both, Kenton and I live in Johannesburg, <laughs> and uh, have no but, plans of moving out, <laughs> and oh, have no plans of moving out. But 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 I think that the, there's an opportunity from your experience, and as we watch the same thing play out in Eguruleni. Uh, to to share lessons, what what it is that uh, Mayor Tanya could do differently in Eguruleni that would result in a different thing from yeah, what you, happened you, to you. You guys are, are in communication. I know because I interviewed the mayor of Cape Town not so long ago, and he said, you know, while you were going through the court battles and you'd just been ousted there, and he was saying that he'd been in in regular communication with you and kind of you know, sharing ideas and, and moral support and all the rest of it too. So clearly you have a network of other people you can rely on, share your experiences with, as Pumi says. Uh, how, how does that work in, in practical terms? I mean, you're in a WhatsApp group. <laughs> mayors, yes, also they're in the mayor's party, WhatsApp group. Right? right. Okay, sure. Of course. We do have a WhatsApp group, all the DA mayors. Um, we, we also have breakaways, mayoral breakaways. We have two a year where we're in one room for two, three days and we get practical lessons delivered by experts. Um, in the last one, we had, um, a former mayor from Denmark who's now a deputy mayor sharing about coalitions. So 
So, yeah, all kinds of things that we discuss, common issues that we all face in, in our municipalities. What's interesting is to see the fluctuation in numbers, you know. So in the first mayoral breakaway, you would have been, say, 36. In the second one, maybe you're 34. And, you know, I was out now. I'm back now, you know. So sure. it's, it's very interesting. So they didn't remove you from the, uh, the group? From you? the WhatsApp group. <laughs> no. Mpo has been removed. Okay, no, not, good. I was yeah. not removed. Okay. But it's not always what could Tanya do better? Like not, said, not better, differently. Yeah. yeah. It's not always. I, th- I think Tanya did her best, considering she's always been a minority government from day one. I don't think any of us thought she would last for 11 months. For me, the fact that she only got ousted now says she did a lot to hold that government together. Because at no point did she have 50% plus one. She managed to pass a budget. She managed to pass an integrated development plan. She's managed to govern and she's done amazing things in a Grileni in the short time that she's been in there with a minority government. So I think she did well. I just think that there's many people involved. There's many moving parts and people have their own interest. Everybody wants to be mayor. Um, it doesn't mean that just because you're mayor, everyone else has accepted that they're not the mayor and they've stopped working towards it. So sometimes people are just buying time and looking at their options and working out how they can oust you while they're supporting you. So I don't think that it's an indictment on her what has happened. Can I just ask a, a much more sensitive question? I mean, here's you, there's Tanya. Previously, there was Helen in Cape Town this is a, a while ago. Um, it seems to me that, that the DA is doing its bit in terms of putting women forward for these roles. And, and these women are competent by all accounts and are keen to be put into these roles. Is there a question of – is there a, a general kind of – extra layer of shit you have to deal with just because you're a woman. And I don't want to open up this discussion to all kinds of like, you know, gender inequality stuff. And, but do you find that it is easier if you're a guy in the boys club in a man's job as it's traditionally been in politics? Or do you think there's an extra layer of stuff you have to put up with and that you have to fight with just because men <laughs> and because politics? Yeah. You know what? I think you see through your lens. I think you see things through your frame of reference. And although I'm a woman, I've never looked at myself through the gender lens. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm somebody that believes you need to equip yourself. I went to school. I did my MBCHB. I did project and program management. I went and studied public health, which is public admin with a focus on healthcare. I did all those things to equip myself so that I'm competent one day to stand in a role like the one I'm standing in now. Um, I, I don't go into a role and say I'm a woman. So when things happen to me, when I go through challenges and men go through challenges too, I'm not one to say, oh, this is happening to me because I'm a woman. So I don't naturally see through that lens and maybe I won't. But does it ever come to mind when things happen like when you asked it now? You go, I think maybe they're doing this because I'm. Gareth is going full blown CNN on us. I am. But I'm. So they're planning to ask. I get the feeling though that they're extra disrespectful sometimes. And when I say they, I mean like the general politicians and the political class. Like you've seen this happen. We've all seen it happen. And I'm just reminded because yesterday I was at the Helen Suzman Foundation and we've had the conversation about how she was spoken to. Yeah. In Parliament. Right. (laughs) 
being And obviously open. then it, it was a lot more of that Exactly, right So And, and all of the, the unpalatable things that she stood for But it, it is also, you know And I think that the coalition is also about wrangling a, a whole it's it's more than a three ring circus right mm. it really is about wrangling a whole lot of personalities and a whole lot of different individuals from different backgrounds and all of that kind of stuff and and i think what gareth is asking about is do you think if you were a guy like all of them it would have been easier to wrangle i don't think so i think the issue here is i have the mayorship there are other people who may want the mayorship or who may want a better deal than what they, they got. And maybe they were just playing for time until, you know, they think, okay, now we can strike. So I, I, I really don't think it your has answer, much to do Your answer makes me like you more because I gave you every opportunity to go for all those free, <laughs> those free points. Well, okay. no, and and yep. you could. Absolutely. You could. Conceivably, anybody else would. But I just love that you didn't. Absolutely. It makes I, me so the, happy. Yeah. But the, then the, the I, thing I set that you up for a, for, a, for an easy win and instead – you're like, you hit it out of the park. I just, I'm so pleased about that. Thank you. So, you know, and I think what you raise about Tanya, having been able to pass a budget and all of those niggling things about how council works, what does it mean when a new mayor comes in? Do they have to start the process from scratch? Because everybody is now past this budget. Or does the new mayor have to work with what they have got? You inherit what you found um, until the adjustment period, which is around Jan, February, where you're allowed to adjust about, I think, 10 to 15 percent of what you found. Uh, but the rest you must work with. So when we took over in November last year, we had to work with what we found. And in the adjustment budgets, we adjusted what we could, what we were allowed to adjust by law. And only on the 1st of July did we see our own budgets now kick in. Hmm. Yeah, those cycles are they're regulated. So you 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 can't just decide. Well, I'm a new mayor now, so I'm going to have my own budget. No, it's not. What, what is so then? When there's a coalition this big, does it matter who's wearing the chain? If the budgets have been passed, if the you know if we, if we've got a plan in place that's being rolled out, is it not? It does it matter who wears the chain because everybody is really every the the citizens of the city have said you are all equally worthless. We don't want any of you, and that's why you have this level of. <laughs> Coalition, right? That's true to a large extent. Well, Does it matter? There's some humility being injected in by Pumi. Sure. So, mayorship is important because mayorship, this is what I perceive as the role of the mayor. You, you lead a coalition if you're in a coalition. You make sure the center is holding, which is even harder in a coalition because in spite of the different political parties, you need to ensure that you are one city. You're running one municipality with one vision and where there's a need for transversal management, as you were pointing out, that sometimes different departments need to work together. Those don't always follow party political lines. So sometimes I need an Action SA MMC to work with a DA MMC and I need them to be collegial and to solve a problem that needs both of them to solve. And the role of the mayor is to make sure the center is holding. There's coordination, there's integration, you know, transversal management. And sitting embedded. on like Yes, you, you oversight, you hold people to account. Because these so, processes don't always run. Yeah. You set them up, but then there are these log jams yeah. and these river jams that Canton's talking about. And 
the mayor has to push those through, right? Sometimes yeah. you have to be the one yeah. nagging on the phone. Yes. Like, uh, how much power do you have to make someone's life a misery if they don't do what you need them to do? We all have a lot of power, including the resident on the ground, to make someone's misery. I mean, like, can you fire someone straight oh, up? We well, I mean, there's there's labor laws that we must observe, but know. we've got a legal department, and we're very strong on consequence management in this administration. So yes, we're all about if you don't want to work, then you need to leave. Oh, there are many people who are unemployed who would love to. I just love. So the legal challenge. I just love those words. Sorry, consequence management. Yeah. <laughs> we should we should have that as rather than having HR in every company and in every government department, that we should have great. Con- <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a great idea. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay. You know, this is not yeah. HR anymore. We don't want to hear about. Totally going to steal yeah, that. Yeah, we're not going to have your mental health issues on a Tuesday. We're going to have consequent management Tuesdays. <laughs> I love that. But it also. Has, all the legal battles aside, you know, because I, I think that's that's a an interesting insight, right? Here you have a coalition that is saying to you, we don't want you. So now you are in this court battles to be that person. And are you then still able to be the center that holds? So uh, the coalition is not saying they don't want me. Um, what happened is the Patriotic Alliance left and we lost the numbers and we ended up now in a minority government. The coalition is still together. So as I said, DA Action SA, FF Plus, ACDP, IFP, uh, UIM, we're still intact. We are still a coalition. I've got nine MMCs who are working. There's only one missing. One of the nine is acting in the health and social development portfolio until further notice. So no, it, it's, it's not true. Um, I, we, we one team, we had our first physical meeting on Tuesday and I, I really loved how that meeting went. Everybody is still committed and we're going to do great things together. Can, can you walk around in Hillbrow? Because people, <laughs> I heard some horror stories the other day. I was talking to a guy who's in security and he said to me, there are such terrible things happening there that it just beggars belief. It's like a bad horror movie out of Hollywood, like organ trans, uh, organ yeah, harvesting. But as long as you speak Hausa or Yoruba, you're fine. No, but this is what people are talking about, right? They're saying that actually these terrible things are happening in Hillbrow. If you're a woman walking through Hillbrow on your own, that that is just – it's not going to go well for you. There's, there's about a 9 out of 10 chance you won't make it through without something awful happening to you. And awful on a scale of like having your bag stolen to being dead. Although to be fair, that, that that's a process that actually started like more than 20 years ago. No, I know. It's and not in Paul's fault. Yes. I mean, none of, yeah. none of this is any of our faults, but collectively we all bear responsibility for it. Joburg is one of the most dangerous cities. They always say Cape Town or Pretoria. Sure, Cape Town has gangsterism and all that kind of thing, but Joburg generally. I mean, people from all over the world. I've got friends in America and in Europe and in India and, and China and in all over the place. And they, they shit scared of Joburg. They don't want to come here. They go, oh, they don't put it on their, on their holiday plans. You know, people go to Cape Town. They're on holiday. They don't care about like the gangsterism and things because the, the PR for Cape Town is good. PR for Joburg is this is a really bad, dangerous place. Everyone is armed. Everyone's trying to kill each other. It's a fight for resources. We 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 know because we live here that that's not always true, mm. but there are parts of Joburg where that is true. Well, there was a brief period of time when Maboneng started becoming a thing, mm. and I, I think that all of us were were like you know cheering for as we were saying, "Yay, this is great!" Mm-hmm. And that Maboneng project kind of just collapsed. 
And now it's, it's actually become another one of those war zones where it's no longer safe to walk in the area at, at night. Melbourneang used to be the kind of place where if we had people coming from out of town, if we had visitors coming from overseas, we'd take them out there. We used to have functions there um, at various places. There were a lot of different venues. They were all great any time of the day or night. Exactly, yeah. And is there a process in place where we can kind of start doing that, identifying a particular area? Make that area safe and then kind of build outwards from there. And there's a lot that actually ties in, again, in in terms of, you know, various departments working together. Nearly all of the road signs on the M2s that actually lead into that area have been removed. So that, you know, anyone who's actually driving and trying to get a sense of where they need to be navigating to get around that part of the CBD, they're going to be hopelessly lost. You know, I happen to know my way around there well. But, you know, it's an absolute disaster from the point of view of a stranger being out of town. And, again, that's stuff that has not been fixed now for more than a decade. And, yes, I know this is a lot that I'm trying to toss in your direction at at once. But I would like to see a return to the glory days of, yeah. you know. Canton wants to have an apartment in, in Ponty again. You, you and me both. Did you have an no, he didn't, but he wanted no. one. No. How old are you? Okay. But I'm 61. You know that. But just to respond, I mean, so I used to be like him, right? That's why I quit medicine and joined politics. So I think you need to consider coming and working with us. You're very passionate, and we could use that passion. But you're right. There's a lot of problems. There is urban decay for many, many years. Development planning is doing great in partnering with the private sector to get the private sector to adopt precincts. And we've got a great precinct development plan. And Mabone will benefit from that. Brownfontein and other parts of the CBD Hellbrow. Um, very exciting work where private sector is coming in with their own resources and they just need government to provide support and an enabling environment for them to do what they need to do. Also with the, 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 the handover of buildings that have been hijacked to the private sector for redevelopment, that's another program that we've picked up and very exciting to see uh, we've already got buildings that are ready, you know, to go into construction phase and that's how we're going to reclaim our spaces. But when you talk about safety, we deployed 1,800 police officers so there was increased police visibility in the inner city for the first time in a very, very long time. And like I said we don't have enough policemen on the ground and women um, but that's something we're working on incrementally so we're increasing recruitment and you know investing more and more year on year and that's the plan but also working with the SAPs and other law enforcement agencies is giving us more resources to work with in Johannesburg and, and I've been very fortunate in that in, in the space of policing to have great relations across all tiers of government from the minister to the MEC the, the national provincial commissioners and as well as the district commissioner so we work very well together and we are becoming one force on the ground. Mm. Hmm. Hmm. For me, I could see you, you were like, mm, 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 well, well, I was talking. No, you, you know, I think what's refreshing and interesting to hear is that there are all these wonderful plans, right? There, there really are all these wonderful plans. And the thing that stops these wonderful plans is interpersonal relationships at the point where they're supposed to kick into action. Right. So the, 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 the ideas, and this is, this is one of the things we have learned over the past 27 years in this country is that the, the ideas and the plans and all of that can be there and can be great. And what we are really bad at is implementation. 
And here, what, what we're seeing here in Joburg is that the implementation is also stalled at interpersonal relationships that have all sorts of um, are you saying like networks that have been established for years? Yeah, but people also personal. So people who who also have personal ambitions. Yeah, people who have personal ambitions that are beyond working towards that are beyond working towards a working plan. So here is a workable plan for everybody, but the ambitions are bigger than that. You know, the mm. personal ambitions are bigger than wanting to see the growth of the pie. It's rather about the slice of the pie that currently exists. That's what I was thinking about. You are you right? And so I'm hopeful because I'm still here. I haven't quit, and and I'd like to see more pause step in because that's how we're going to change this. Not everybody is here because they're really concerned about that person in Alex who doesn't have a home or a toilet. Um, some people yeah. are here for different reasons, and that's primarily the problem. But the people who are supposed to be here are standing outside and criticizing, and, and not everybody wants to get their hands dirty, and that's what saddens me. It, it, it's not an easy decision to make. Yes, it's a huge sacrifice, but we need to do it. If we care about this country, we need to get and, and involved. And you, you don't need a, a, a vast majority. You just need an, a, yeah. a, a minority who won't yeah. tolerate nonsense. Yes, exactly. Stop nonsense. Exactly. And, and Paul, I remember the first – Interview. Pumi's laughing about stop nonsense. Um, I remember the first interview I had with you, and, and I asked you, like, why would you want this? I mean, you're already a successful woman who's got a life, you've got a family, you've got things going on. Why would you want this? I mean, I asked, I think I asked Herman the same thing because he's got lots of money. He doesn't need to worry about this. You know, people asked Donald Trump the same thing when he ran for president. But there's, that, that, it seems to me that there are some people who just assume that you have certain ambitions or certain priorities or maybe it's all driven by ego. Other people who assume that you really are the service deliverer person that they've been hoping for. But it's it's really somewhere in between. I mean, there's got to be some part of this that feeds you. Like, what do you get out of it? Because it's transactional. Uh, no, it's not. It's it has everything. Like, my job gives me great joy. But if it wasn't paying me anything, I'd hate it. Well, the the only pay I get is seeing people's lives improve. Remember, I, I worked with patients, people, human beings who came to me um, with all kinds of ailments. And I always use diabetes as an example because it just it really helps people understand. If you're diabetic and you're on insulin, uh, firstly, insulin is stored in the fridge. So if you don't have electricity, you don't have a fridge, you're in trouble already. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have a job and we tell you you must change your diet. This is how you must eat. You can't even afford a nutritious meal. Uh, those are just practical examples. So you don't even have transport money to get to the clinic because you're unemployed and you're missing your appointment. So actually, the whole reason you're mayor is just to sort just diabetes out. No, <laughs> I use it as an example. I, I know, but I mean, I'm extrapolating. Yeah. So we all live in this crazy ecosystem that is not well organized and you pointed that out. And we've got people in government who don't seem to care or care about what you were talking about, all the wrong things, except organizing this ecosystem to make it work for that one person in Alexandra. And that's what brought me here. When I first left my business, I remember I was in disability consulting and I had contracts with Sasa and I left it to come and study because I realized I don't have adequate skills to do what I wanted to do. I could see the system is fragmented and it's not working for the one person. And that's when I came to do public 
public health medicine. I spent four years at Wits University. It was the first tough decision I had to make. And, and at the end of that, I thought I was going to go back and, and then Alex happened and I found myself in politics. But it, that's really what it is. It's about how do we get government to work for the person on the ground? How do we organize the system? You like efficiency. Yes, and, and I want to see people develop and grow and live better lives because I, I, they can I and like we have efficiency. adequate resources to give people decent, even if dignified it was, lives. I was being sarcastic, but even if it was just to solve the value chain for diabetes, that would be a great thing. That would be a great thing. If we could get it, that. Pumi, Pumi that's your alarm. No. It's, it's our alarm. It's Paul. not my alarm. It's, it's, it's not even on camera or Paul, on the microphone. Paul, Paul brought an entourage and it's the entourage's alarm. Paul has to go. I want to, I want to pounce at this point because <laughs> right. we, we spoke about pounce. Alex and <clears throat> the ray of fire from Alex through to Santon. Is that going to happen? Because yes. it, it, it's been more than 10 years now. No, we, we've actually made some headway on that. So. Watch the space very soon. Can we have a time frame on that? <laughs> he's holding you. See, he's holding you to account. I know. You'd make I, a good mayor. Can I have a time frame on you joining government? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, um, Paul, thank you for coming in. I know you, you're very busy, and this is only a few days after you've been getting back into the job. Um, we are all hopeful, whether we voted for you or not. I think the people of the city just desperately want things to work. That's how I started this discussion with you. I think it's true for, for Canton. It's true for Pumi. It's true for me. So good luck. I mean, power to you. Make it happen. And uh, let's hope that you can, in the next opportunity to get people to vote, have a much stronger mandate yeah. from people. Because yeah. even though we prefer coalitions in that it's not one party controlling things, we've seen what happens when that happens. Mm. It's easier if one party has the, the, the mandate of the people to actually go ahead and do things because coalitions are damn hard. It makes just, uh, it, it adds another dimension of, of, of stuff that you have to trundle through every day. Good luck. Thank you for coming to see us. Uh, and I appreciate your time. Thank you, Canton. Always good to have you here for your uh, studio reunion with Pumi and I. And Pums, we will see you next love, week. I love seeing everybody here. I know. Almost feels like. Are y'all coming back to the studio next week where I'm alone again? <laughs> he doesn't know, Gareth. I don't know. Let's, uh, let's I, see. I, I enjoyed you arriving at stu- to the studio with coffee, okay? I know. That, so uh, please that come we back. can arrange. That we can arrange. <laughs> All right, thank you, Mpo, thank you, Kanthan, thank you, Pumi, and most especially thank you to you. We will see you tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. for the show, but Pumi will return Thursday next week with another burning platform. Cheers, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you.